We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 236, and happy Memorial Day to everyone out there enjoying the Monday off. That's why we are slightly delayed on this episode recording after Monday's game. And Scott, we are also recovering from a very busy and also very fun weekend. It was a very fun weekend. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Hopefully um, you take a second to realize what the day is, and I hope you guys all had a, a fun weekend. We certainly did. You know, granted, on Saturday during our event, the game didn't go as well as planned. Obviously, the first couple innings were a ridiculous uh, and a lot of fun, and then Sonny Gray happened, and I was so when I saw that Sonny Gray was pitching that game, I just had a bad feeling about the game, um, knowing that I would be there and. And the fact that he was just going to piss me off in person, I, it was just, it was inevitable, almost inevitable at that point. And sure enough, sure shit, what does he do is he goes out there and, and, and throws a complete egg. But that being said, the event was a lot of fun. We met some really awesome people, saw a lot of very familiar faces. We've seen a lot of people come uh, back time after time for these events. So, um, yeah, it's always fun. I feel like every time we go, it's, uh, you know, we get to talk to more people and just get to know them better and, um, there's, there's definitely a, uh, a solid core of people that are, are coming to these events. And you know, we, what we want to do is build that out. And uh, we had over 200, uh, it was right around 230 tickets sold for this one. A, a vast majority of them came to the brewery beforehand. It was definitely over 200. Um, and then everybody to the game. So it was a lot of fun. That's how you know it was an awesome event. Because despite the fact that the game was pretty crummy, 
we are still looking back on it. And we've had a number of people reach out on social media, on Facebook and Twitter saying they had a blast. So that's how we know it was an awesome time, awesome pregame. And even though the, the game was not going as we wanted it to go, people were still having a ton of fun in, in the stands. Yeah, and you know the brewery beforehand was was awesome, and I know a lot of people really enjoyed that because it's a it's not it, you have a lot of room in that place, you know what I mean? So and there's an outdoor area that's where we were hanging out mostly. There's cornhole, there's uh, they had like the adult Jenga stuff, so people were hanging out and like doing doing fun things. They have picnic tables. We had uh, dinosaur barbecue was at the um, at the brewery itself for for food. So it, you know it, it was just a, a fun uh, a fun atmosphere, and and then everybody kind of rolled over to the game. Um, the lines were actually not bad getting into the stadium, which I was, I was, uh, I was happy about. So I think people got in with not too much issue. <laughs> I know you got, you got, well, blown. I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson. Don't go to gate four, <laughs> yeah, go exactly. to gate eight you, every you single just, time. Well, you can just squeeze through security a little bit, uh, more seamlessly at, at gate eight versus gate four. Yeah. Even though we got yelled at for, uh, for, for talking about gate eight on air last time at the, uh, at the dugout, but that's okay. So if you don't go to gate eight, go somewhere else. Uh, gate eight, there's nothing to, nothing to see at gate eight. But um, but yeah, that was uh, that was a good thing, and and then the game, yeah, in this, like I said, the beginning of the game was fun, uh, you know, back to back home runs. I mean, that you, you can't beat that, and then uh, and then Sonny Gray happened. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about Sonny Gray, but I don't want to talk about it yet. I just want to give a give a thank you to everyone who was rolling on Saturday with the BP crew. As we just said, ton of fun. People were coming in. We had people from Virginia, people from Chicago, obviously people locally that lived in Manhattan or driving an hour or two into the city. Um, it was there were California, there was Seattle, yeah. there was uh, there were people from all over the place. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was uh, maybe my favorite event that we've done. The weather cooperated. It was it was hot, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe a little humid, but but who cares? It was it wasn't freezing, which is better. Which was an upgrade from the April one, and definitely uh, an awesome way to kick off my summer. The next one though, June 29th against the Red Sox. Those tickets are on sale now. You can get them at the fan shop. Uh, that one is also going to be a really fun time, and that's going to feel like a playoff game. I think. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be live. And we've sold a bunch of tickets for that. They are on the fan shop right now. Um, but go go ahead and start getting your group together and, and definitely come off that one. A Friday night game, so it'll be a little different. Uh, Friday night game, we'll do the pregame at the dugout and, and then roll into the game. But yeah, it's going, to be like a, it's going to be like a playoff atmosphere. Night game against the Red Sox. Uh, first time um, we've played them for, for a little while. So there's, uh, you know, there's been some drama that's built up uh, since the last time we played. And uh, it's going to be fun. It's definitely going to be a good one. You've done a lot of driving around this weekend. You could probably use a good sleep, right? Absolutely. And, and maybe you've heard me talk about the amazing sleep number, 360 smart beds. They're so smart, they respond to your every movement and automatically adjust to you. The great news is their latest smart beds are even more comfortably priced during their semi-annual sale going on now. So many couples disagree on the mattress firmness. You want it, you want it very firm. Your wife doesn't want it firm. So many things to discover. The sleep number bed lets you choose and the ideal firmness on your side. So it's just right for the both of you. You can actually feel how it contours to your neck, shoulders, back, and hips, relieving pressure points for more proper spinal alignment. That's, there's even an adjustment for snoring. That's perfect because I can't stand snorers. Uh, come in now for the semi-annual sale to see the, sla- the latest Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed with special Memorial Day savings up to $700. There are more than 550 Sleep Number stores Visit sleepnumber.com slash Bronx to find a store near you. 
So kind of quietly, the Yankees are playing pretty mediocre ball over the last 10, 5-5. Five and five. Some things have not gone well with the pitching staff, namely the starting pitching has been uh, pretty bad over the last 10 games. But doesn't it just seem that after the unbelievable stretch that they went on, ended maybe it was the weather that cooled them off with the rain and all that kind of stuff but they've just been playing a little bit more sloppy baseball over the last 10 days well yeah i mean when you when you start when you have that ridiculously hot streak uh anything's gonna look bad if you're not you know keeping up that pace it, it definitely has sensed uh, i've sensed a little bit especially today i definitely sensed some sluggishness it was like they were they were on cruise control after that three nothing lead. It seems like like there wasn't. A, and, and granted, you're going up against Justin Verlander, so you're you're you know you're facing one of the better pitchers in the league. Um, but it just it it did have that that feeling. I mean, there were sloppy plays, uh, like things like Glaber Torres. We'll talk about him, but there were some things that just didn't fit the bill of what this team was and how. But again, if you go on a, a streak like they did, anything is going to feel uh, like a a big change. And you know. We we can we can accept a, some stretches of 500 ball if they make these long streaks. Yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily the 500 ball losses happen. You understand that they had a ton of bounces go their way when they won those eight series in a row, and maybe some bounces didn't go their way over the last ten games. But I, but I think, like you said, Glaber Torres making those those uh, the base running error, and then the couple errors that he made over the weekend are not for lack of talent. Obviously, we've said that he makes these unbelievable plays in the field, and he did make a really nice over-the-shoulder running catch today. But then he, you, you have some times where it looks like uh, maybe some lackadaisical play or lack of concentration. Like on that, that throw um, on the ground ball, easy ground ball, was just a lazy throw. It was just a lazy throw. He didn't plant his feet. He, he, he took his time to make the throw, and then it seems like he rushed the throw because he realized the guy was coming down the line a little bit hot. And... And he was, um, and he just pulled it, and, and Bird had to come off the bag to get the ball. So yeah, it was a, it was one of those those things you'd expect from a young guy occasionally, where you have a lapse in in focus. Uh, maybe you take things for granted. Maybe you're just a little bit lackadaisical and cocky in the sense that you know you got it and you can make the throw, and then you got to rush it because the guy's going down the line a lot faster than you expected. So, uh, you know, look, I, I'm 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 willing to accept all those things as everybody should because I think what we're expecting to see is a guy that's that's uh, not making these mistakes and perfect because that's what he's been built up to be and that's really what he has been but the fact of the matter is he's still 21 years old still coming in as a rookie those things are gonna happen and he will show his age on occasion right yeah and I thought maybe with the Yankees getting a couple guys back over the weekend it would give them even more of a boost Canely came back on Friday uh Bollinger who came up for a day got sent back down to Trenton Canley pitched on Saturday. Didn't look great. We saw him. That was when the game was pretty much already out of reach anyway. Glaber made another error in that game. That didn't really help Canley's Canley's, uh, line there. Give up four runs, two of them earned. And that was a play where we've seen Glaber make this before, where he almost does not focus on the catch. He was receiving a ball from third base, and he looked like he was trying to turn the ball too quickly, and it just tipped off his glove. Um, and then Bird, we got the return of Greg Bird on Saturday, and this is a move Yankees fans just freaked out about. Ronald Torres, little baby toe, gets sent down to bring Bird back, and you would have thought by the reaction on Twitter that Mickey Mantle in his Triple Crown Prime season just got sent down. The reason why people are upset is because he is the everyman. He is the guy that everybody can can relate to he's the the underdog story nobody wants the underdog to get sent down when they don't deserve it 
when they don't absolutely deserve to get sent down. I mean, he was he was having a good season. The guy comes in and does everything you want him to do and then gets sent down. And the reason why I think everybody should not freak out about this, does, did he deserve to get sent down? No. Did anybody besides one of the pitchers, probably one of the pitchers, deserve to get sent down? But what mm-hmm. are they doing? They're extending uh, the, the pitching staff. They're making sure they have that extra guy because we've been getting too many starting pitchers that are going into the third and fourth and maybe fifth inning, and then we have to have relievers come in. So w- with the long stretch coming up, and this is why he got sent down, and it could have been him or it could have been Tyler Austin, but they had guys to, to play those positions, so they, they wanted to make sure that Bird came back, I think, and came back. Um, not not too fast and didn't play every single day. At least that Austin was there to spell him uh, against some left-handed pitching. And Torres just was one of the guys that that could have gone down because for these next couple weeks they could probably live without him. But they need the pitching. Exactly, it's a thousand percent a move for the next. 13 days or they're in the middle of the 13 day 14 game schedule where they're going to need guys like AJ Cole does AJ Cole should AJ Cole really be on this team no actually AJ Cole hasn't been pitching that badly but what I'm saying is Cole is the last guy in the bullpen as of right now yeah it's right it was him I think people had uh, Holder going down over Holder certainly is but he's been pitching very well very well so, so there, there were not a lot of easy... It was a hard decision. Let's all talk, talk about how this was a difficult decision to make because there really wasn't anybody glaring that said, okay, you're, you need to go. There wasn't an easy choice because you sent down Tyler Austin. A lot of people could balk at that. The guy's been hitting a, you know, very well against left-handed pitching. He's been um, you know, producing with power numbers, driving runs in. And, you know, he, he can spell bird on those. Because do you really expect... It's, I think it's an unfair <laughs> assumption to assume that Greg Bird is back now, so he's just going to plug in as the every single day first baseman. Everybody knows what his injury history is, and you know damn well that Boone and the Yankees are going to try to give him some days off, at least to make sure that he stays healthy, and that's why Austin's here. And Therese's locker has not been touched. It's still there. Um, I saw some of the reporters tweeting that no, that's pretty odd for a guy that gets sent down. Usually they clean that thing, thing out. No, no traces of the guy unless it's one of those rehab assignments. This isn't a rehab assignment, but it's probably a move they told Therese, you will be back. I was surprised. Everyone was surprised about the move. You you guys were joking on Saturday after we heard the news that I was happy about this because I'm a Therese hater. Yeah, we, blah, were, we blah, weren't blah. joking. You though. built up the narrative. No, you we built up the narrative. We weren't joking. Nobody built up a narrative but the words that came out of your mouth. So you keep saying this. I'm not a Therese hater. I I just uh, was I was surprised as surprised as everyone else was with a big shit eating down. grin on your big face. shit eating grin on my face because because yes <laughs> because everyone was freaking out thinking acting like Ronald Therese is going to be the key to this team either winning or not winning a World Series. That's just absolutely ridiculous. Talking about how it's going to ruin the chemistry. I'm sure Ronald Therese is very loved in that clubhouse, but he's not going to win them or lose them any games because of his presence. And I don't think I think people are just dismissing Tyler Austin as a guy who maybe can bring some positive chemistry to that locker room. He was the one who who got that brawl going at Fenway Park. I'm sure that went a long way in, in the clubhouse. So so like you said, there's no there was no easy move for Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone to decide who was going to come off this roster. It just happened to be Ronald Therese. Next time it'll probably be Tyler Austin. So, so I just think people need to take a step back. They saw the name Torres, and they see that he can play all these infield positions and play them once or twice a week and still have nice at-bats and still get bat over 340 or whatever he's hitting. He, that is a tremendously valuable piece for this roster. But it still made sense for the next two weeks. 
Yes, it was a short-term move. I think he dismissed the chemistry thing a little bit because a lot of people do. But I, I do believe that he, and I think that was part of the optics of the situation too. Is like you take a guy like Torres off of this team who has been, you know, part of the storylines of the chemistry for this team. I mean, he's been dead center in the in the middle of all the storylines for the chemistry. It, a lot of them surround Ronald Torres, whether they use him as you know the like a gimmicky thing or whatever. He definitely brings a lot of lightness to the to the um, to the team. You saw the first day when uh, Glaber Torres is up. Who was on his hip? Torres. Torres was on his hip the entire time, making him guiding him through through the day. So I, I think you underestimate the the value of him. I, I definitely don't see Tyler Austin as a big clubhouse guy, um, but. The, well, how do you know that? I'm just telling you what I see. I I, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I have seen it with Torres. But Boone, but Boone count, of course, countless Boone's times talks he's about the manager. how he's the manager. What's he going to do? Sell a guy on the river? He's going to talk. No, about, he's going to talk about the value of everybody. Of course, he is. It's his job. Okay. Well, I I'm, I didn't dismiss Torres's clubhouse chemistry. I said that is probably a factor. But I think people were just automatically assuming that Tyler Austin brings nothing to the clubhouse, and that's unfair to assume too. Well, it's not saying that he doesn't bring anything to the clubhouse, but when you're looking at at um, gl- but if he at, got at, sent at down, no one would have said boo about if if bullshit. They, they wouldn't have said anything reason, about chemistry you want, the if Tyler reason, Austin gets sent down. You're right. Exactly. That's correct. That's correct. Because everybody knows about Torres. That's why nobody knows anything about Tyler Austin. Because okay, it's well, you have to have a. The, but, look, but the bottom line is, is you have to have, look at it both ways. I don't actually. I can look at it in whichever way I want to. And Torres <laughs> is the way the the way that everybody is. I'm I'm looking at it from like the grand scheme of th- things from the fan perspective and uh-huh. the optics of the situation. And the optics of the situation didn't look good when Ronald Torres got sent down. That was the 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 glaring thing. And that's you can't really dispute that. That that's what it is. People were mad about it because they they made him into a lovable character. The Yankees have built him up as a their marketing team has even built him up as a lovable character. So that is obviously going to invoke some type of emotional reaction by the fans who have gotten behind this guy. They've been setting this up for a long time. He's been the guy. You sent a guy like Tyler Austin down who, you know, there is a guy who could play first base and bat right-handed if you want to. Like, there's a guy that can do that currently on this team. There isn't someone right now, if, um, if you keep your regular starting lineup in there and DD needs a day off, who's playing short? There's nobody to play short. Glaber Torres. No, Glaber Torres is your starting second baseman. You're not. They already said Glaber Torres is going to play shortstop if Didi needs a day off. But, they already said that. But that's the thing. You're moving a guy. Then it's it's a that's a forced move. This is a two week move though. No, I, who I, cares? I, I get it. I I'm telling you the 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 side of the the every man. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm, well, I, I'm speaking for the people here. I think I understand. Are it. I understand. I don't far. think it's a big deal. I think people are far too concerned with the 24th and 25th men's on this roster right now and, and overlooking some other glaring weaknesses on this team, like the starting pitching or the fact that Giancarlo Stanton had another four strikeout game and once again kind of looks lost at the plate, left six men on base on Sunday. Like, there's other things that I would much rather worry about than if Ron Torres or Tyler Austin is on this roster. I know, but we just didn't. How, how many, let me ask you a question. How many golden sombreros is too many? Because he's had a, he's worn a. Well, lot he's only year. technically had one golden sombrero, but he has two platinum sombreros. Oh, the platinum's right. So they go, you get beyond that. I'm sorry, you you overachieve. <laughs> <laughs> he went platinum twice this this year. I mean, oh, in it, the same week no, to boot. There are 100 percent other things to to look at, but when your team yeah. is uh, on Sunday on pace to win 108 games, it's not that it's not that glaring. 
You look at a guy like Therese and you're saying, okay, this team is on pace to win 108 games. Chemistry could matter in this team. Chemistry could actually have something to do with it. Why are they going to go and screw the chemistry up? Why are they going to mess with something that they don't really have to? That's that's a valid argument. Okay, well, they here let's let's play this game. They have the doubleheader in the middle of the stretch against Detroit that was not scheduled obviously. That was supposed to be an off day. Say those games back in April did not get rained out in Detroit and they don't have that game and they're in this exact same situation. They probably send down Pitcher. AJ Cole and then we aren't even having this conversation. 100%. So this is 100% because of the rain and the schedule that they this team has had to endure in April. It's a May. numbers game. It's a numbers game. And it's, if you want to blame somebody, honestly, the, the person you, the, 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 the area of the team that you can blame is the starting pitching because yeah. nobody has any confidence in the starting pitching getting deep into a game. And because of that, they have to carry a, well, a 13th pitcher, right? They have to carry another pitcher. And it's because the majority of these starters are not going deep into games so that they need more arms over Gray, a utility guy. Sonny Gray has started 10 games this year and he has not even reached 50 innings pitched. Ugh. That is fucking horrendous. It's bad. It's really bad. The guy, the guy has been one of the biggest disappointments come to a Yankees uniform in a long time. Really, he has. He's been awful. Yeah, and Saturday, three and two-thirds innings pitched. He walked three guys, gave up seven hits, five earned runs, 11 out of the 21 batters that he faced reached base. And then after the game, he actually, with a straight face, said to reporters, I thought my stuff was good. And how, um, how? I'm, when, I'm, when I'm watching, I, I've stopped listening to him after the games because I just can't handle it. And the, uh, the reactions, just listening to some of the interviews from Boone too, talking about how all his stuff was good, but he couldn't control the fastball. The two-seamer was getting away and coming over the plate. Okay, fine. Two-seamer is not able to be controlled. You're not able to, to throw it where you want it. I don't know. Don't throw it then. <laughs> don't throw it to... to to, to guys in big situations so that it runs over the plate. Let's just mix up the game plan if that's the case. You got to go in there. If something's not right, you got to. He has enough pitches and enough of an arsenal, uh, theoretically, that is that is you know he should be able to make those adjustments on a day if, if a certain pitch isn't working. One of the one of the biggest things that that freaks me out about Sonny Gray and and what happened in that game is what uh, the Angels were saying after the game. What the Angels were saying that is not the same guy that we have we used to face in Oakland, like not even remotely. Velocity was down, wasn't the same guy. I was, they were very surprised on, on the sunny gray that they saw because everybody, uh, for a collective unit, agreed that that was not the same sunny gray. And I am still talking about this now because this is the only thing that makes sense to me. The only thing that makes sense to me is that the Yankees got bamboozled by your boy and Sonny Gray, they, they overlooked something. They overlooked the, 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 you should have seen it in the analytics, I would assume. You can see it with the, uh, you know, what he's throwing, the amount of pitches that, the, the amount of times he's throwing his uh, breaking stuff, where his fastball velocity is. Like all of these things should tell a story of who Sonny Gray is post-surgery and who, who Sonny Gray was before the surgery. And, and from what I'm seeing and from what we're hearing from the, the people that faced him in his own division in Oakland, he's not the same guy post-surgery. And that's a problem because who knows if he's ever going to get back there. Well, then how do you explain he came over to the Yankees and was one of the best pitchers in the American League in the first three months of the season last year? I think he came over uh, in a stretch where he had the lowest ERA in the American League for, for like did. two months. Absolutely. So and how do you explain that? I'm, I'm thinking it's not sustainable. I'm thinking that you know maybe, maybe in, uh, uh, last year at some point, 
you know, he just hit a wall and just and, and mechanics started getting changed. I don't know how to explain it. I really don't. But when you look at the numbers uh, post-surgery and, and just listening to what people say about what they see and when they're standing in the box against him and that it's not the same dude, you know, you got to believe that. You got you to you be concerned when you hear those things. And uh, you have well, to be able would... to – he's got to be able to harness the, the Sonny Gray of old. And we just haven't seen it. We've seen it in very, very short time, uh, you know, time windows. Right, like we saw eight innings of dominant pitching against Kansas City. Right. I understand Kansas City's a much weaker team than the Angels, but but his stuff still looked sharp against Kansas City. He was throwing his fastball by people. It had life at 94 miles an hour. He was using his off-speed stuff. He was getting swings and misses, and then he comes out against Anaheim and looks totally lost. Not, it's not like they went back to Gary Sanchez, so you can't blame it on the personal catcher right. situation. No. Well, what is it? Is it just mental? I, like I said after the game in our post-game video, the dude might just need some therapy. Well, no, but, but that's, that's also part of like post-game stuff. You know, whether, whether he's physically there or whether he believes that he's physically there are two separate things. You can be physically there, but don't believe that you're physically there and then not throwing the same type of things that you would do you know, when you had full confidence that your arm was, was, was good and that you're not going to hurt yourself. I don't know. You know. We've been baffled by this guy this entire season. He drives me insane. Uh, it's like every year I got to have a guy who I know has the ability to do these things, but never harnesses it. It's, it, it's a never ending trend with the Yankees, whether it was Evaldi or freaking Pineda and now Sonny Gray and, and Sonny Gray had a much better track record than those two guys. So, you know, you can look back at the track record only so much, but you have to take into the consideration of what you're seeing on, uh, you know, on a, on the grand scheme of, of this year and, and at the end of last year. And yeah, we saw some glimpses. But he's not been the same guy. We haven't really seen... I think the, the start against the Royals was probably the best start we've ever seen him in a Yankee yeah. uniform. Yeah, came against the Royals. Yeah. It was such a big situation in against Kansas the Royals City with who are no going to lose 90 games this year. In Kansas City, away from the, the big lights. You know? Oh, so now are we talking about if he can't handle New York? Maybe it's a, a pressure thing. Again, but it goes down to his mentality and, and how he is approaching uh, a, a given mm. game in a given situation. I don't know. I don't know. Well, the Yankees spotted him a 4-1 to lead on Saturday, and then there was a key moment in the fourth inning. The Yankees were still up, 4-3, two outs, man on third. Trout comes up. I don't care what the situation is, what inning it is. When there's an open base and two outs and a guy in scoring position, you walk Mike Trout, especially when he's in the middle of a 5-for-5 five five game. <laughs> it looked like he was on a cheat code on Saturday night. That's how good he was. Uh, Sonny Gray falls behind 2-0. So as if he needs more of a reason to just intentionally walk him. You're already behind 2-0. Nope. He comes after him. Boom. Hangs a slider. And then the Angels are in the lead because it's a two-run homer and the Angels never look back. That's a horrible call. I think Sonny Gray should have known enough to just pitch around him. But if he didn't, Aaron Boone should have made the decision, walk him here. Well, yeah. Aaron Boone did, did talk about this afterwards and said to... Pitch carefully to him. Like, they didn't want to give him anything. They were basically telling him, the one time you tell Sonny Gray to not be aggressive and to nibble. Hey, Sonny, nibble. He goes and hangs something over the middle of the plate. Like, Well, no. So, Boone, I give Boone credit here because at, right after the game on Saturday, he said, I did not want to walk Trout because he probably would have stolen second. And then you have the go-ahead run in scoring position. He said it was 2-0. Maybe if they fell behind 3-0, they would have walked him. And then he came back on Sunday morning after he thought about it a little bit. And he said, yeah, I should have walked him there. So fine, he changed his mind. But that's still a situation that he made the wrong call in the moment. 
Well, he from what from what I heard, he was saying that he they were going to pitch around. They weren't giving him anything. Just pitch carefully to him. If he doesn't, well, then what's the, what's the point? Anything, it's Mike Trout. Oh, I agree. Not, he leads I agree. the league in walks. He's not going to swing out of the strike zone. And when you're talking that's about a, a guy dumb, like Sonny dumb. Gray, it's putting too much confidence on a guy like Sonny Gray who can't throw the ball over the plate, especially on a day where his two seamer is riding. You know that he's not able to throw that. Uh, it wasn't the two seamer that he threw over the plate that he hit. It was uh, the slider, right? And then it was a bad slider. It was a bad slider. At the end of the day. You can't have the trust of Sonny Gray for that one, and I agree. You have to walk him in that point, and, and, and it's very hard to assume the stolen base at that point too. Like that's no, that's, he probably would have stolen because that's an easy play, first and third. You always run and then make the team either throw or not throw. Yeah, and, whatever. I don't care. But it, I that would has rather to face, do with it though. That has nothing to do with it. The the fact that Trout can d- do the damage. Yes, I would it's way Trout. rather go after Justin Upton every day of anybody. The week and I would rather go after Sunday for over Mike Trout. It's okay. I would rather go after anybody on planet Earth other than Mike Trout. And and also Mike Trout on a day that didn't look like he was I mean he was seeing a beach ball coming at him. Exactly. He was squaring up everything. It's little things like that uh where Sonny Gray he he just he just loses me. He, because that is a that is a a decision that does not take a genius for him to know the game to realize he's got to realize the game situation and and just put that on himself. The manager should not have to tell him to walk a guy there. Yeah. I mean, even if it's not intentional, just throw the throw a fastball outside the zone. Throw it. Right. Throw it. Throw something that you know. If that like Romine, they should be they should be shaking each other off and giving the sign at that point. They should be communicating at that point. And you know what? In a situation like that, have a mound visit. Why not? Yeah. It was huge it was a huge situation. Why not talk about it? We uh, at least got to see Otani play because had he pitched on Sunday, we would not have seen him DH on Saturday. So at the very least, we got to see him hit, which was which was definitely fun. The stadium came alive whenever he was in the batter's box. Oh yeah, I mean the the UR soft chants were outstanding coming from our section. They were really good, and yeah, uh, yeah they they I mean the guy he he got the business. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, and so he is soft because he had to be pushed for workload management. So I just figured, how do you say soft in, in Japanese? And because I can't pronounce it. You hear that? Let's say it again. I can't hear you. Yawarakai. Yawarakai. You are soft. So now we know how to say soft in Japanese. And this is what he is. I mean, it's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he was. Such an easy target, really. After after saying that he's not coming out to pitch, coming up after the whole offseason thing, it was beautiful. It was uh, it was scripted beautifully in, in the first couple um, at bats when he came up, and and then also when he faced Tanaka, some some good stuff happened. Well, I wish he was pitching on Sunday instead because Garrett Richards was absolutely infuriating, taking thirty seconds on the mound. That's the first time I really said, okay, there needs to be a freaking pitch clock. Yeah, oh, I had the pleasure of listening to John and Susan for the majority of that game as well, and it was it was known very well that the game was taking a long time, and that uh, Garrett Richards was taking an insane amount of time between pitches. There were many jokes, many jokes about the length of a game. <laughs> uh, that's when that's when John and Susan are at their best, though. When they're complaining about the length of a game, <laughs> it's uh, when when they have to fill so much time and just watch them go down these weird rabbit holes. Uh, yeah, yeah, John. I don't. It's been an hour, and we're out of the first inning. It's it was uh, right. it was it was a lot. It was good though. You know, I the the banter between the two, and they have their little inside jokes, which I appreciate. 
so the the debate all all weekend was rookie of the year, Glaber Torres or Shohei Otani. It's interesting. They actually both have 117 plate appearances. Glaber 317 batting average, 985 OPS with nine homers and three doubles. And uh, he became the first or the youngest player ever to homer in four straight games, um, beat out Babe Ruth and Ted Williams. So he's doing something that's never happened before. And then Otani's doing something that hasn't happened in over 100 years, which is slugging 929 at the plate and then pitching to a 335 ERA on the mound. Yeah, I mean, if Otani stays healthy and plays a full year and, start, and pitches, and, and you know, if, if he, he's got, what does he have, four wins now? So yeah, it, it's it's reasonable to say that he could get to ten wins, double digit wins, and then doing what he's doing at the plate, it's going to be tough to beat him. Honestly, I, I think the, yeah, it, it would be I very agree. tough to beat him. I agree. He would have to start really sucking at either pitching or hitting, yeah. and Glaber would have to continue this offensive pace because when you're when you're the dual threat that Otani is, it it's just kind of it's kind of unfair. It's unfair. This you bring too much to the table at that point. Yeah. No. Exactly. And and, and because it hasn't happened. You know, really in modern history, uh, Babe, when you when you start putting in Babe Ruth, and I know Glaber passed Babe Ruth as youngest player to homer in four straight games, but that's one of those like those weird streak stats. Uh, you're looking at a guy who's pitching and hitting in a season, and and he's doing it well. Like that's unheard of. That doesn't happen. Well, so they had to push him for this workload management, which I think is odd considering he only pitches one day a week anyway. So, do you really think this is sustainable where he can? continue to be a starter get, say get maybe 20 starts in a season and still hit five days a week because it doesn't seem like it's going to be sustainable if he's already needed needs to be pushed for workload management after seven starts well I think the workload management it's just them being careful so that he can go for the, the remainder of the season I think what we'll see is even if there's like a very small you know small thing that happens whether it's a small tweak or he just gets tired because they were talking about his his arm felt a little tired, I think, after um, after a, a particular start. So they just wanted to be careful with it. I, I think that's when they're going to just take their time with him, and and you know he'll he'll just get his at bats. But uh, I I never I didn't think it was sustainable personally. I thought one of the areas would absolutely lack, like you're not getting uh, enough cuts in between, and you're you're going to struggle at the plate, or you're just not getting enough reps. It's just a lot to put on a body. We're, we'll see how long it's sustainable because obviously as the summer goes on, it's just going to get harder and harder and harder uh, with the amount of games that they play and the travel and all these things that go onto it. So there, it's a lot. I don't think it will be by the end of the year, but it's so far what he's doing is pretty damn impressive. And Tanaka got the best of him. He struck him out twice, but I actually thought the matchup of the weekend was against Chapman. Yeah. Otani versus Chapman on Friday night. Yep. And Otani hit a ball down the left field line, which was fouled by maybe 10, 15 feet. But that was a little too close for comfort. That would have been a go-ahead two-run homer. Yeah, it was a it was everything you wanted. I mean, in a matchup like that, that was like prime time. It felt like a playoff uh, atmosphere for that particular at bat. Like you're looking at the, the 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 young stud kid coming up with all the hype, and then you know the guy, one of the guys that throws the fastest in the league. Um, so it was a great matchup. It was it was definitely fun to watch that at bat. Was uh, everybody I think was on the edge of their seats. And I liked that Boone went to Chapman in the eighth inning to face Otani there. Yeah, no, it's a great move. That's a lot of confidence. I like that. And, and it's just adding, asking a little bit more for your best pitcher. And you know what? That just shows, I think, that Boone's not afraid to go to his best option at a, at a, at a time that might not be popular or may not be you know, popular throughout the, throughout the league. He's going to do his own thing. And in that particular situation, he wanted his best against 
what you know might be one of the um, Angels' best. So I like the move a lot. I think I think it showed a lot of confidence, and it showed Boone just doing what he wanted to do. I want to talk about this article on the Athletic that was posted on Friday about Aaron Judge and the number of called strikes against him that are not actually in the strike zone. So StatCast has measured, as of Friday, 47 called strikes against Judge outside of the zone, which is 25% of the called strikes against Aaron Judge. Uh, dating back to, se- to early uh, beginning of 2017, only Brian Dozier leads him in that category, which I thought I was expecting, and I think you were too, somebody of similar stature to, to Judge. So maybe Stanton also getting uh, screwed on these called uh, strikes because of the size of the strike zone. But Brian Dozier is a 5'11 guy with a normal batting stance, so in theory should have a very normal strike zone. So are we looking at what Judge is going through here saying this is just an anomaly, or is it maybe just only Judge is the guy that the umps have not adjusted to? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because of the, the other guy, because it's Dozier and not someone uh, that's bigger. And, you know, because that would make sense that they just, they're not adjusting to the height of the strike zone. Uh, and and you, those are the calls that drive us nuts, I think, are the ones that are low and away and they're called a strike. And some of them, 25% of them apparently, are out of the strike zone. And when you're, when you're looking at that against the big guy, it's just so glaringly obvious that it's not a strike because of his stature um, that I was very surprised that, that it was Dozier. So I, I don't know how to... But because of that, it's, it's not leading me to believe that it's the height, right? It's just... Maybe it is a coincidence. Maybe, um, maybe they don't know. Maybe it's some 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 way that that judge stands. But it's not like he's any more any different with his stance than than most other guys. He's got a pretty standard <clears throat> stance. Um, so I well, mean, I think also part of it is the fact that Judge sees a ton of pitches and takes a ton of pitches. So there's more opportunity for called strikes. That's that's fair. And he's he's also hitting number two in the lineup, so he's getting a lot of at bats. So yeah, he is seeing a lot of pitches. But you'd think that at this point, with a guy after a full year and doing what he's doing, that um, that he'd be getting some of those calls, knowing that they're low and away, and, and yeah. that the umpires would be aware of that particular pitch, because you know damn well that uh, it, it's being brought to their attention, like that that's not a strike multiple times. Well, Judge always does it if he does it diplomatically. He's not a guy that's going to flip out. Do you think though? Well, I don't think it's just him. I think I think there's conversations. You know, maybe before a game, in between innings, things like that. Just about the, just just normal conversations. I'm not even saying complaining, but just like, hey, I'm going to put this out there type of things. It's got to have to, it's going to be said at some point. Yeah, the Yankees as a team also lead in this category with 241 called strikes against them. The Yankees are hated. That's it, right? Umpires hate the Yankees. That's just, <laughs> right. It's us it's- versus the world. It does. It doesn't seem to be bothering them much. They're leading in most most of the offensive and most power categories. They're on pace to break the '97 Mariners record yes. of home runs. So maybe the Yankees are just as good as they are, and the umpires are just trying to bring them back down to earth a little bit. It's a bullshit conspiracy. <laughs> well, the thing I love about Judge is that first of all, even when he does not. Ha- uh, do something at the plate, he's doing something in the field. Making diving catches, or like he did on Friday night, threw out Calhoun at the plate, and then threw out Maldonado uh, at second base trying to go for a double. Just two absolute missiles in the perfect spot. Well, that's the thing. Like They're so accurate. They're so unbelievably accurate 
the, it's 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 impressive how the guy not only has a ridiculous arm. I mean, just his the, the, you know the thought of his body size and and how he can uh, just generate that much power behind a, a throw like that. But how accurate it is that's what's surprising to me. Um, but it just shows and proves what what an athlete this guy is for his weight. I mean, I've always talked about the sense that like he's six seven, six eight, but he runs like a guy who's six two. He, you would never if you were like if you were really far away and you saw that guy run and the way that he moves, he doesn't he doesn't move like a like a giant. He doesn't move like a guy who's that big. Um, the only other guy that moves like you see basketball players move that well, uh, but not many baseball players who are that big. Yeah, and, and there are not even that many ba- basketball players that move that well. And to give Stanton credit, I think Stanton is also very, very athletic for his size. He's not quite as big as Judge, but he gets down the line very quickly. And he, he's a good outfielder. He's not as good as Judge. We've, I think we've seen that. Judge has put himself in a category above a lot of outfielders in right field. I think Stanton sometimes shows his size in, in the, flu, the fluidity of the way that he moves. I think Judge is a, is a lot more fluid in, in like everything he does. That's why it feels like he's a smaller guy running because of you know, he's got such good body control. I still think Stanton has like awkward jumps or like awkward catches or awkward movements sometimes a little bit, but I mean, no, he's a great athlete. Obviously the way that if you, I mean, just looking at the way he can hit a ball by the stance that he's in shows that he's a freaking good athlete because that just looks hard to do. So <laughs> it looks like he's uncomfortable. It, it does. Honest. That's what I'm saying. Like there are some, like some, some peculiarities with the way that he does his movements and, and obviously, uh, you know, approaches the ball at the plate too. But Judge just looks like you know any other guy, but he's six six eight. You know, it's, so it's we've crazy. seen we've seen Stanton start off with a close stance and get slightly more closed, slightly more closed, slightly more closed as he's struggled this season. Is he going to get to a point where he just closes it so much that he comes back around and then he's open? Yeah, so it's just going to be a complete win, uh, one of those uh, one of those doors. It's just, it's just one at one time, one at bat. He's going to be standing there, not even facing the pitcher, and then the next time he's going to be coming around the other side, like the sun's rising on the other side. Here comes Stanton again. He's going to be open this time. Hey man, at this point, there may be a competition for who has the the more closed stance between him and Romine because Romine's definitely picking <laughs> up on this and saying, "Hey, if that works for you, let me try that." And no, it, it's working for and him. It's, working. it's not working for Stanton. It's true. Well, it has worked in the past. Yeah. Right. Yeah, everyone's saying, well, when is Stanton going to change up his stance and get rid of the close stance? Well, probably not for a while, considering he was slugging 700 with that close stance last year. No, I, I really don't want... If, you, if everybody wants him to make a drastic change in his stance in the middle of a season, I, I think you will regret that if we see him like make a drastic change. I, I just don't... I don't think a big guy like that... Um, the judge is an anomaly. I mean, he didn't make it in the season, really. He made it... A drastic change. He made it in an off season, and he did a ton of work. Again, like you're, when you're that big, to get to get the the body to move to the same place every time, to to recreate that same swing and get those mechanics on right is not easy to do. I can imagine. Not that I know anything about that, but just knowing how much has to go in the same place, the length of it, it's not easy to duplicate. The thing that's kind of bothered me about Stanton this year, watching him every day, is that sometimes I think he goes up to the plate without a plan. Whereas Judge, even when he's struggling, I always feel like he has a plan at the plate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Judge doesn't seem... The last time Judge looked as lost 
as Stanton does sometimes, is was the uh, the first two months or first month and a half he was up in uh, you know the, in his, right in his even when he was batting even last year in his slump when he was batting one fifty or whatever he was and striking out a ton he was still getting walks he was still having quality at bats like I said it looked like he had a plan sometimes Stanton goes up there in a big moment and you know he's in swing mode the pitcher knows he's in swing mode throws him a slider in the dirt and he swings at it no matter what it, it's very frustrating well the, the and also the weird thing about him is that during his very first very long slump. He couldn't hit a fastball. He couldn't hit a four-seam fastball, which is crazy to me. The fact that he would, uh, and you know, they were they were basically uh, fastball, fastball, fastball. I think Verlander, uh, the the first time they faced him, threw three or four fastballs in a row. Just 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 kept throwing him fastballs, and he could not touch it. Just couldn't. No, it was coming. Couldn't touch it. Yankees are going to finish up the series this week uh, against Houston. CC versus Morton on Tuesday. Sevy versus Keuchel on Wednesday. They miss Cole again, so they have not seen Cole this year. And I think, what, this is the last time the Yankees play Houston this year. So uh, they're not going to face Cole, maybe not until the playoffs. Um, but it doesn't really matter because the entire Houston pitching staff is just filthy. Yeah. What is Charlie Morton, 7-0 and right now? 7-0, and I think, with a two-something ERA. Don't they have the top three... Uh, top three ERA guys in the in the American League. I'm pretty sure they yeah, do. Yeah, I think I heard that on the broadcast. So today. I mean, yeah. that's it's, that's absolutely stupid. Spin rate. There's obviously something going on in the water down mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. And, and and the spin rate is uh, you know drastically changing things. So once again, I'm okay if, with Verlander shutting you down. I'm okay with Garrett Cole shutting you down. But when Charlie Morton at 34 years old comes out of nowhere throwing 96, 97 miles an hour, I have to raise an eyebrow. Just because, well, he just he just he just decided to throw harder though. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to throw hard. Right. That's it. Well, can, can, uh, can Stanton decide to start hitting home runs again? I hope so. I, I hope we can turn it back on. Because if yeah. Wonder Guy could just decide to throw harder one day after being in the big leagues for a long time, <laughs> and he's 34 years old, you know, that's, that's impressive. Should've, he should have made that decision a long time ago. And I still think the, the weak spot on the Houston team is their bullpen, despite the fact that it looks strong today with uh, Davinsky and Giles closing out the game. But we saw their bullpen blow a game on Sunday. Jose Ramirez had one of those marathon at-bats, 17 at bat, uh, pitch at-bat against Ken Giles, who had been pretty solid after punching himself in the face, actually. He had not given up uh, any runs in his previous five and two-thirds innings before that. Yeah, I really wanted to see a meltdown today. That, uh, today being Monday, that would have been a lot of fun. Bird gets on, starts something, and you know, I think if it had been a little bit closer of a game, we may have seen right. him meltdown. Yeah, he did. He he almost he actually almost did have a meltdown, kinda, because there was a um, I forget who hit it was it Didi maybe who um, hit a ball back to him, and and he like double clutched to first base. He almost screwed the throw up to first base. So there was almost like a mini meltdown, or like uh, you could see like steps going to a meltdown. But I think you're right. I think if there was if it was a less than a four-run game at that point, we could have seen a lot more of the mental stuff get to him because he's obviously susceptible to the mental toughness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he'll show you that he's tough by hitting himself in the face, but mentally, not so much. Well, I think the things with the trade deadline between Houston and the Yankees, it's what starting pitcher are the Yankees going to trade for, and it's what relief pitcher are the Astros going to trade for. Yeah, it's going to be a big sw- It's going to be a big difference, uh, and the relief pitcher. And like you said, like today, Davinsky looked very good. By the way, I mean. Mowed down Judge with a th- and a, very a, good in his outing against the Yankees in Houston. Yeah, I mean he was he was good, and the sequence that he went up there, the guy looked like he had a lot of confidence throwing in the high nineties. Um, so that's that's not good. That's not one of those things. The the same guys that they have in the back look better, and and that's not good <clears throat> because their starting pitching looks very good right now, and they are going to get a guy. They're going to get a guy um, that that is uh, you know one of the one of the better relievers probably at the trade deadline. 
because yep. they're going all in at this point again. Uh, and, and really one of the only deficiencies that they have right now, and maybe it's not even a huge deficiency, but it would be somewhere in the bullpen just to add another arm. Yeah. Before we get to mailbags, I want to just remind you guys to rate and review the podcast in iTunes. We are well over a thousand, which is awesome. Give us, if you enjoy the podcast, give us a five-star review. And if you rate it, uh, you will be entered to win a t-shirt. Next episode, I promise we will be giving away a t-shirt. I just did not have time to look through them. Uh, So step up your game, guys. Give us a funny, honest whatever you want it to be, uh, review on iTunes, and uh, you might win a T-shirt. Mailbags. Tim Sinet at Tim Sinet on Twitter says, I don't know if anyone else has said this already, but Gardner is going to get 10 and 5 rights on June 30th, after which he can't be traded without his approval. So this is a very important point. Uh, so thanks, Tim. Uh, and Tim was at the event on Saturday. We, we were talking to him for a little bit. So uh, good to meet you, Tim, and uh, thanks for the question. Yeah, so, well, because we had gotten mailbag questions about if the Yankees will trade Gardner to make room for Clint Frazier to open up a spot on this roster. And we had said from the beginning, we don't see Brett Gardner being traded. Maybe they move on from him after this year, after his contract is up and they don't pick up his option. But even if they wanted to trade him, they can't without his approval after June 30th. But I also want to say Gardner doesn't strike me as someone who would block a trade. No, no, no. He would say, oh, okay, I'll go and play (laughs) baseball somewhere else. Um, but no, I don't think he's one of those guys. I mean, talk about, uh, talk about disrupting the chemistry. you trading your, your, um, the most tenured Yankee on the team currently who is you know, dubbed as their captain. I'm not saying the captain. I'm saying they, they said last year you know, he would be their captain on the team. So, I mean, he's obviously an important guy on this team. Uh, he's, uh, uh, again, I think he's a very good leadoff guy. People are, are, are talking all sorts of shit about him. Uh, because of the batting average and all this stuff. But if you look at the on-base percentage, he's been hot again the last 12 games. I think you have in here, he's a 333 uh, clip, nine walks, seven extra base hits. So he's still getting on base. He's getting his hits. He's doing the things that he needs to do. He's seeing pitches. He's a valuable part of this team. And, and whether he puts up the you know gaudy numbers, he's not going to. But that doesn't matter. He's a valuable part of this team because of the little things that he does, the fact that he does get on base, and sees a ton of pitches. That's huge. Yeah. Bad luck. I think he's had some bad luck in April. And now he's turned it around the last twelve games. So the the stats, the at least the the numbers that flash on the screen, which I think is what maybe jumps out at people because they watch they watch the game on TV and the first thing that pops up is batting average. And as that slowly creeps up, I think people are going to stop bitching about Brett Gardner. Yeah, and he's a streaky guy. We've talked about this a hundred times. Like the guy goes through his hot streaks, and he definitely goes through his cold streaks at the same time, or you know, uh, on the other side of those hot streaks, but. While he's doing that, he's going balls out in left field, playing tremendous defense, still getting his walks. Because again, when the batting average is low, look at his on-base percentage. It's still hot. He's still getting on base. And who cares how he gets on base when you have those guys behind him? He just needs to get on base. He just needs to see these pitches to give you know uh, to give the the judges, the the Didis, the Stans, the Sanchez more of an idea of what's coming. Like, those are important things within the, the, the confines of a game. Like, that's important. Seeing those pitches, running the pitch count up, these are all important things. Being on base, no matter how you are there, that is what I want. Yeah, he's, I still think he's the leadoff hitter. We've seen Hicks bat leadoff against lefties. A lot of people, I think, want to see Gleyber Torres leading off. He was moved from the nine spot up to the five spot today that's a big jump after Boone kind of saying kind of downplaying if they're going to move him or not 
boom, the lineup comes out today. He's moved all the way up to the five spot. Where would you like to see Glaber hit? Um, I, I'd say if, if I don't think they're going to move him out of the the leadoff spot. I wouldn't have a problem if they if they tried him in the leadoff spot occasionally when Gardner had a day off or if they were going up against a tough lefty. I I think that would be a, a decent spot for him. Uh, but if he's not there. I really don't want, and Stanton was out today, so that's why he was as high as he was. But I still see him somewhere between six and nine. Like, I still think he's in that in that area. I think that he will fit in well. I think there is still value to have a hitter like him at that point. I just don't, I don't see the need to move him up to, um, well, I, to, to, to make any drastic changes. I really don't. Well, when when he's been one of your best hitters over the last month, I think that's why people want to see him. I mean, get people more. want to, but the Yankees are scoring. <laughs> no, I understand the, the offense. The so, so why are we, what's the? I'm saying, I'm saying, what's the emergency? What's the concern about it? There's not I don't really think a there's concern. an emergency. I mean, I think that it's clear that he's not a number nine hitter for the rest of his career. Hundred percent. So, and I don't even think the rest of this season. I think he will be a better hitter from now until the end of this season than than a few guys in this lineup that have been batting ahead of him. So, I think he will get moved up, and I think there needs to be an idea where he hits. I could see them actually batting him second and putting Judge third. I don't know. Judge has, Judge has been living in that two spot for a while, and he's doing very well there. Again, it's hard to move a guy when he's getting the he's doing well in a in a, in a given spot. He's getting a ton of walks as well, and you know he's able to uh, to produce in that spot. I just I don't. I think this he is can produce I like. in the I three spot too. I don't like changing things that are working. That's it. I don't like changing things that are working. So when you have something that's going well, I don't like disrupting that. It, to me, that's that's a it's it's a no brainer. I don't like I don't understand why why would you change something that's going well to to make it better? You're scoring the most runs in the league. Could it okay, really get that much fri- better? Friday night they scored two runs. I know they won, but they only scored two runs. Saturday they got blown out. Sunday they only had three runs, and those were were gift runs because uh, Richards couldn't find home plate. And then today they got shut down again. So. The last four or five games have not been great offensively. But you're, you're taking a small portion of the season and, and a very small portion of the season and trying to make a, a, a more grand judgment on that. You can't not do that. A judgment, I'm not making a judgment on uh, the entire season based on four or five games. But what I'm telling you is that Cleaver Torres is not a number nine hitter. Nobody's He's disputing better than that. that. Nobody's disputing that. I, I think that they are going to move him up a few slots, but I don't, I don't see him going in front of... When, when Bird gets going, he's not going to be I – I still think Bird's going to be in that three spot. Uh, I don't see why you would move Judge at this point. I could see them like, like they're doing with Hicks right now. Like, I would rather see Glaber Torres in that leadoff spot than Hicks against left-handed pitching. That move yeah. would be a, a good move because that's to me, is you're putting Glaber Torres instead of Aaron Hicks at that point, and that's a no-brainer in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, at that point, you can do that change. But I don't see him hitting above six otherwise. Well, the next question is from Daniel Schneider, actually, about Glaber, so I'll read that. After the Rangers series, Glaber has eight homers in 27 games. Now he actually has nine homers, which is a pace of more than 45 home runs in a season. What do you think his home run potential is for this season and later in his career? I think this season he can go 25 to 30, and as he matures, I think he can be 35 to 40 home run guy. I'm so excited about this 21-year-old kid as the rest of uh, fellow Yankees fans the crazy part is I don't know where his ceiling is. Uh, I think we are seeing something special. I agree that we're seeing something special. I think this kid is going to be a v- staple in this lineup and on this team for a very, very long time. You're talking about a 35 to 40 home run guy. 
I don't think I'm there. I, I th- well, I mean, who knows? With the live ball era and what Didi is to, is, has been the amount of home runs hitting, it's, it's, it feels like it's inflated. So maybe, maybe 35. Um, I, 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 it feels like he's like a 25 to 30 guy. That's, that's kind of where I feel like. Um, I think the home run pace right now is, is something that's going to cool down. Like he's, he's squaring the ball up and it's hitting, it's going out of the park. But, you know, he's, always, he's also talked about his approach and that he's not really a home run guy uh, and, and that the ball, he's just making good contact and striking it. And, you know, playing at Yankee Stadium is going to help him for sure. But I, I don't know. I, I see him long term as, you know, probably a 25 to 30 home run guy. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is that Glaber Torres does not need to hit home runs in this lineup. No, he doesn't need to hit them. And, and I think I, I think he's going to be focused on hitting line drives. I think that's going to be his game. He's going to hit a lot of line drives. I think he, he's going to be, um, you know, up there for years with, uh, with the leaders in extra base hits. Like, I, I think he's going to hit a ton of doubles. Uh, mm. But I don't, I, I don't think we're going to see this home run pace stay. I, I really don't. All right, what's up next? Next one is from uh, Robert Ruiz. He's at uh, D-O-N-6-A-R-I-0-1. <laughs> or maybe that's an O-1. It's cryptic. Uh, what do you think the Yankees are going to do with Herman if he blows another game? And, well, it's convenient because he pitched today. Uh, today he started and, and threw five and two-thirds. He gave up four runs, three earned, seven strikeouts, and two walks. Uh, but you have in the notes as well, and I think we, we talked about this before we started. Uh, he, he looked good today. I think aside from uh, that second inning where those, those runs were given up, um, I think he looked good. He was missing a lot of bats. They, it seemed like the, the movement was good. I, I think the numbers don't tell the story of how he pitched today. Totally agree. I think today he looked more like the games we saw him against Houston in relief and then Cleveland in the no-hit bid than he did in his last two outings in which he gave up six runs. Yeah, uh, and so I, I think it was a good start for him. Obviously, he didn't get the results um, and the defense, the was errors, not, yeah, the errors did not help him one bit. The defense was not good behind him. The, um, but, but again, you know, I think it's crucial for him to start to, he's got to make sure that he cuts down on those big mistakes. Like the 30 run home run is a big, it was mis- a bad pitch. It's, it's a bad fell pitch behind him. and a big mistake. And those are where he's going to get in trouble. And, and, you know, we've seen this in the past with guys like Pineda, where he's like lights out, lights out. Then all of a sudden, boom, like he, there's a, a big number thrown up against him quickly, you know, and he gives up a big home run. And, and that's what, you know, as Herman, if he's getting more opportunities, and he will until Montgomery gets back, and maybe even further than that if he continues to progress. But he's a guy that's got to cut down those big mistakes because he does have swing and miss potential. He's, a, he's got good stuff, um, and he throws a good amount of strikes. So, Right. It's just, though, with him, with Sonny Gray, with Sabathia, and with Tanaka at least 50% of the time, you just cannot count on them going past five five innings maybe they get you into the sixth inning and and you're like damn they went deep today but it's just so much stress four out of five days on the bullpen yeah i know the problem is is that right now there really isn't much uh, of an option unfortunately they're gonna have to i mean i think the everybody in the and their brother knows that the yankees are going to go after a starting pitcher now and you know that was the big talk in the offseason. I was definitely talking about the fact that I didn't think they needed it at that point with guys who were coming up as well, like Chance Adams. Well, you thought Sonny Gray was going to win. And I thought Sonny. And I thought Sonny Gray. I, I never said Cy Young. I said twenty games. It's very different. The, but but again, like this guy has freaking the that potential, and the fact that he's not living up to it is throwing such a huge wrench into this starting rotation. Because even what we saw with Tanaka yesterday, like Tanaka was back to you know pretty good Tanaka again. 
No, I thought actually we well. kind of glossed over Tanaka. I thought his fastball maybe looked the best on the season on Sunday. He it was in. I saw him touch ninety four. And it had some life up in the zone. And that's something I feel like we have not seen much this year. Uh, um, and, and what do you know? It's against a rival J- uh, Japanese player. Not a pitcher, but still a big, big moments every, every time he faced Otani in the batter spot. Yeah, no, it's true. And he definitely geared up for them. Well, he struck him out twice, right? Yeah. The, so, uh, you know, you, you, the problem is right now is that Severino really, at this point, if you're looking at the entire season and what we've, what we've gotten, gotten to at this point, you're, you're looking at Severino as the truly only dependable guy out there. If you're going to yeah. go to the next the next tier, Tanaka's there, and then maybe you're throwing CC into that, but lately he has not been. So tomorrow is a big start for him, I think. I think he needs to show that he can bounce back against a very good opponent. So I think it's going to be a big start for him, um, and I expect him to come out you know, f- ready to go. Uh, you, you know he wants to stop, stop the, uh, the struggling at this point. So, um, But yeah, you're not looking at anybody who's giving you any consistency. The fact that is in this offseason, we thought Sonny Gray was going to be that, that, you know, potential 1A guy. And really, there wasn't much to say that he wasn't going to, you know, get into that. Like, you know, you got half a season with the Yankees, got your adjustment out of the way. Now let's see what you can do, kid. (laughs) And we're seeing what what he can do. And it went the other freaking way. Bad. Ugh. Uh, Frank says, I've been particularly impressed with Romine's play both defensively and at the plate. I feel like this begs the question of him being the starter at catcher and to move Gary elsewhere on defense. Should this even be something the Yankees are considering and where would you play Gary if they do so? I know first base is a little backed up with the great play of Tyler Austin and Bird coming back. So maybe a permanent DH kind of like David Ortiz. Again, we've talked about this one at length as well. It's not going to happen in the middle of a season. It's not going to happen anytime soon. At some point, do I think that Gary Sanchez will eventually be the DH on this team? Probably at some point. Uh, I don't think it's now. I don't think it's anytime soon. I think that they're, they're, I think everybody's fine with the way that he plays defense. Yes, it gets frustrating occasionally, but he's also throwing a bunch of guys out. He's hitting, you know, producing the way he is. There is no real good area to, to make. There's no good spot on this team to make anybody a true everyday DH. There's just not. There's too many guys that need to fill into that spot. Um, you know. It, well, there's only one place he could ever play in the field, and that's first base. First and base. like like Frank said, you got Greg Bird. You don't exactly. You but, hope, but but that's not even a decision. That, that's not even good. something that he could do this year. I don't think. They, they would oh, not, of course they would not. Never no, move I him think... in, into first base right now. But they theoretically, if you wanted to, if you wanted to actually make this a legitimate discussion, which it's really not, but if you wanted to, uh, if they did make any move this year, it would be to a designated hitter spot. It would just be a hitter. He wouldn't move anywhere in the field. I think. I think people are also seeing Romine hot at the plate right now. Yes, they are. Romine's not <laughs> and an they're everyday like, catcher. Oh, could Romine be an everyday catcher? And the answer. Is probably not. I'm not going to say no. It's probably not. We would all be very frustrated with Austin Romine as an everyday catcher. These, the amount of mailbags that would be coming in, bitching about Austin Romine, struggling at the plate because he's playing every single day, would be endless. We'd be reading them all day. So there's always something that we're going to be complaining about, whether it's the, the guy that can play a little bit better defense and his bat, or the guy that has the ridiculous bat in some of his defense. Does it frustrate the hell out of me when, when Garrick Sanchez can't block a ball? Yes, I hate watching it. I do. But... At the same time, I love the offense. I love the arm. And, you know, he's going to get room to improve on this stuff. Well, also, this lineup, the the A-game lineup, which we have still never seen because of injuries and a number of other reasons, is Sanchez catching, which he provides so much more value with his bat as a catcher, and Stanton DHing. Right. That is the A-game lineup. We haven't seen it yet. 
But Sanchez is still a good bat. He's still a good bat at DH, but he's not elite. He's elite offensively at catcher. Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And his arm is elite. The, the, the success rate of him cutting down runners is elite. Like the guy, people forget about that sometimes with the cannon that this guy has. Uh, yes, again, the frustration with the blocking the plate. And, and sometimes it looks like Little League shit. Like it, it drives me nuts when he doesn't get down and just square up a ball. It, it absolutely drives me crazy. And, and I think I, it's going to change. Especially when I see a guy like Brian McCann who look, look, looks like he's in terrible shape but can nimbly move around and block balls with no problem. <laughs> it, you know, like shit like that drives me crazy. Well, he's more aerodynamic because he's bald. Uh, you're wearing a mask. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the problem is, is that, yes, do I think he can improve? Yes. I do. Okay, well, we said that last year. We said that he's going to improve after the offseason and working on it all winter. And it improved for three weeks, and then it does not look like it's been much improvement since then. Well, we'll, you know, we'll see it as the season goes on. If we go into another year and another two years and he's not improving blocking balls, then I'm going to forget about him improving because it's not going to get better as he's getting older either. (laughs) People are also so – I've gotten uh, some people on Twitter saying – Oh, I, I tweeted out a stat that Mariano Rivera threw 13 wild pitches in his entire career, and Araldis Chapman has eight on this season alone. And all it was was just to sh- highlight how unbelievably ridiculous, one of a kind, we will never see that again, Mariano Rivera. And Chapman, he's one of the top closers in the league, but he's, he's wild. And the wild pitches, especially the ones we saw on Sunday, probably weren't Gary Sanchez's fault. And I got people chirping me, well, Mariano Rivera had a catcher that could catch the ball. People like do people think Jorge Posada was an, like a Gold Glove defensive catcher? Like, is that what the history has has uh, rewritten here? Because he was a very average defensive catcher. He could not throw for shit. No, but he, he, could, he, could, he could, I mean, he was a dec- he was a pretty good blocker. I mean, he could receive. Okay, the ball. but he couldn't throw anybody out. No. So now we have a catcher, Gary Sanchez, who has one of the best arms in the league, and he uh, it was last year above average in uh, framing runs. So framing, framing the ball. He was above average. He wasn't top, but he was above average. And obviously, he can't block the ball. But, <laughs> but, pe- but people think like Jorge Posada was, was like Johnny Bench back there. It's like, no, Posada was, was awesome because he was a, a dominant offensive catcher, switch hitter, and solid behind the plate, and, not special. And to be fair, to be very fair, Araldis Chapman is a left-handed windmill guy that throws 100 plus miles per hour. Mariano Rivera was not that. Mariano Rivera threw that cut fastball that you knew was coming. You knew the spin rate. You knew that he would be able to throw it on a freaking dime. Probably wasn't the hardest guy to catch because he was so good and he could locate so very well. Part of Aroldis Chapman's, you know, allure and dominance, honestly, is sometimes he's effectively wild. Sometimes it puts the fear in God between the guy, between the ears of the guy at the plate, not knowing where the ball is going to be. And when he throws 105 miles an hour as a lefty, where it's, a, it's, it's hard to pick up with the, the, the way that he throws, you know, that leaves something uh, to be said and to be wondered by the batter. A little uncertainty is not a it's bad the, thing. It's the fear of God in the, the batter, the catcher, the umpire, the manager, and the fans at home. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, they're very different pitchers. Very different pitchers. And I wasn't comparing the pitchers. It was more to just... I, I looked it up and I said, holy crap, only 13? Of course only 13 because Mariano was, was the best ever. Right. All right. What's next? Next one is from Dylan. He says, uh, what do you think... Uh, what do you think of Judge saying there's no need to do the home run derby? 
I might be in the minority on this one, especially because maybe he injured himself last year, but I think he should do it. It's great for the game. Guys like Judge, Stanton, Trout, Harper should all be in it to promote the game. Um, and this is what basically talking about his comments, saying there's no need to do it. Even if MLB officially reaches out, it's still my decision and I'll do what I think is best. Like I said, that is the last thing on my mind right now. I am leaning more towards not doing it. Yeah, and I think uh, I think this is, a, this is the decision that the Yankees want to hear out of Aaron Judge. But I also understand completely what Dylan said about um, as far as like excitement for the All Star Game. Watching Aaron Judge do the home run derby is the best thing for Major League Baseball. I get that, and hundred um, percent. Two things I'll say about that: one, Judge did it last year. We saw what happened. It would be tough for him to top what he did last year. So I could see him taking some time off and then doing it again later. Um, but you know, you're not going to get all of those guys in one. I mean, has Trout, has Trout done it? I don't remember if Trout's done it. Harper Harper has, Harper has done it, but I, I don't think, let me look that up. Yeah. I don't remember if Trout has done it or not. We have, we definitely haven't seen all of those guys at the same time though, for sure. And like, you're not going to see all these superstars do it. It's, it doesn't seem like a Trout thing to do. If he has done it, I'd be surprised. Well, so the, I Googled that the top hit is Mike Trout won't compete in the home run. Yeah, okay. So it, and then it just, it kind of seems like his MO. It doesn't, he's so under the radar. Uh, that it seems like he wouldn't do it. But the other the other point of that is it's not it's not these guys' job to promote baseball either. Yes, baseball can promote them and, and they can they can do all sorts of things with MLB and, and to promote the game. But them actually doing a, a um, an exhibition that takes that that you know for all intents and purposes we don't know he could have very well been injured during this last year. There's no possible way MLB can come in and say you know and put pressure on him to do this if he doesn't want to do it. Um, and I think right now, he's already done that. He's, he's, he's been there, done that. You really can't top what he did last year as a rookie. So maybe he does just focus on his health and focus on winning a, uh, a championship for the New York Yankees. I think Yankee fans would be okay with that. Yeah, I could actually see the only other time Judge would do it is if the Home Run Derby, if the All-Star Game's at Yankee Stadium, which I don't even know if there are pl- – I don't think there are plans to do it at Yankee Stadium anytime soon. But that's the only situation I could see him doing it again. I mean, I could definitely see him doing it outside of that, but I, I think I think there will be some. I think there'll be some time off. I, I don't think he'll do it this year, and I think that's a, a good decision. We saw it, you know what I mean? Like I feel like we saw it, and and I'm good. I know he could hit the ball very far, and now we know that he can hit it further than anybody with little effort. And now <laughs> we proved, also know he proved he can win it with ease. Yes, so like you said, what what does he have to gain exactly? And there's other also than another stupid trophy. The underlying thing that you know potentially he did get hurt. Because there's that. Because right. that long slump did come after that. Give me a get rid of that slump and take your title of home run champion, and I'd be happy with that. You know what I mean? Like, give me the the guy who who hit in the first half without that slump over a, well, over he, a home he run. He wins title. the MVP award if not for that slump. Uh, running away, he wins the MVP. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't even have been close. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't see him do it, but I could see him coming back at some point. Uh, it doesn't. I don't think it had to be at Yankee Stadium, but at some point doing it. I could see him maybe out in California too, where he's from. I could see a number of scenarios doing it where he would do it again. Last question is uh, from Ben Hanley. Getting DFA'd got me wondering when the Yankees will do the same thing with Ellsbury. This was a surprising move. The Red Sox DFAing Hanley Ramirez. I was shocked. I really was. I was very, very surprised. Uh, the, 
it's just it's such a crazy move, especially if even if you just look at the what he's done against the Yankees, and and that's what we've been focused on. Obviously, we know that because we play them, and Hanley Ramirez has murdered the Yankees and so, just destroyed. Them. So the fact that he's not going to be there is great news, and it came out of nowhere. It's like oh, it's like Christmas came in the middle of May, and the and the Red Sox are just going to get rid of one of their more dominant forces against the Yankees. Appreciate that. It's weird. Right. It's a it's a strange move. Well, he has six homers on the season, and three of them have come against the Yankees. So, so we only see Hanley Ramirez destroying the Yankees, whereas the Red Sox are watching him maybe struggle against everyone else. But don't be fooled. This is a move for, for money and 100% money because of that vesting option uh, for $22 million next year that the Red Sox do not want to have happen. Right, and, uh, and that's exactly what's happening right now. They're, they're, they're ditching a guy that's not performing at the time. Uh, and maybe he's a little lackadaisical and has the, 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 some, ma- some of the mania-isms. I mean, he's even transformed himself into Manny with the, with the dreadlocks and gained a little bit of weight. And I mean, he literally looks like Manny now. Uh, and, and maybe at this point, it's probably the best as far as fan reaction because he was struggling. I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, what the reaction was with, with Red Sox fans. I haven't talked to any of them since then. Um, uh, I, sh- I should talk to some of my buddies to see how they feel about it. But I, I-, I could see them not really caring that much, honestly. And Ben asked, when are the Yankees going to DFA Ellsbury? Ellsbury is essentially DFA'd at this point because he's on the DL with injury after injury. If you DFA a guy, you have to pay him no matter what. So he's not bothering us right now because he's so far away from the team that he might as well be DFA'd. I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter. He's not, he's not, you know, if, if Jacoby Ellsbury were healthy and pining to come back up, and, and like struggling in a rehab assignment or something like that, I could see this conversation happening. But right now, he's in, he's in the woods. I don't know what he's doing. He's, I mean, they say he's in Tampa. I don't even know if I believe that. You had a well, good quote in here that I think was kind of yeah, funny. Brian Cashman with maybe my favorite quote ever when talking about Ellsbury's injuries. Everything he's had has been diagnosed legitimately by a doctor. And I really wish there was a camera on Cashman when he was saying this, because I guarantee you he was smirking and, and maybe even winking as he said this. Yeah. <laughs> Air quotes around legitimately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things that are funny about that. But yeah, so he's hurt with something now. They say he's in Tampa. Again, I don't really believe that. Do we have photo evidence that he's in Tampa and he's not in Seattle right now or outside somewhere in the Pacific Northwest um, hunting hunting, uh, whatever they hunt out there. This guy is living on on his ranch. That's what I believe. I think that Mm -hmm. he he has no intention in playing for the Yankees this year. I don't think he's even trying to play baseball. Uh, This is just what I believe. I think think they've, for all intents and purposes, like you said, have DFA'd him to the disabled Mm -hmm. list. (laughs) And I I don't think we ever see him play for the Yankees again. Never. No way. I don't see a scenario how that's possible. I really don't. Right. Right. the only way it would have been is if, his, if he was actually healthy this year. And then in the beginning of the season when we saw outfielder after outfielder go down, like they were getting shot from the upper deck, um, then maybe he would have had a shot. But he couldn't, couldn't get on the field because of all these legitimate, air quotes, injuries. So. Good for him. Good he's riddance. got a, he's got a long offseason and he got paid a lot of money. So who's laughing? Probably him. Definitely. Thanks, everyone, for submitting the mailbag questions. If you want to do so, it's bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast is where you can submit the emails, or you can tweet us at Yankees Podcast, and you can post in the Facebook group at the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Scott, uh, it's been, a, uh, like we said at the top, a very, very fun weekend. Again, thank you to everyone who came out to the event and looking forward so much to the next one on June 29th. Any last words before we get out of here? 
Yeah, just to reiterate, the June 29th is going to be a lot of fun. This last one, um, same thing. You know, I really appreciate everybody coming. Uh, there were some some people emailing me like the day before, day of, having having some issues with the uh, the Yankee Stadium app, which really needs to be improved. If the Yankees are listening to this, for God's sake, make that app better. It's painful. It is painful the workarounds that you have to do to get tickets. Sometimes it's it's crazy, and there's no rhyme or reason for it either. Sometimes it nope. works. Sometimes it doesn't work changes every time Jeez. the instructions i get are different every time and and if you could on the back end for someone who's organizing this thing let's fix the transfer methods as well because that also is ridiculous i feel like i'm in 1995 on aol with dial-up internet it's stupid but that being said the event is uh, was a lot of fun thank you so much to all the people that came out come out to the next one we're growing this thing tell your friends bring your boys out um you know a, a special birthday shout out to uh uh, our guy Chris Hope, who came with 30 of his friends, and everybody else who came out. Really, it was just such a great time. So, uh, again, truly appreciate it. And we'll see you next month against Goddamn Red Sox. Good stuff. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.